host of this show, Max Naist, lived in addiction for years and made lots of destructive choices, which resulted in losing friends, family, and his career. After being in jail for the fourth time, he knew he needed to make some big changes. Now, sober for 17 years, he shares the steps he took, which led to recovery and got his life back. Welcome to Fearless Happiness. 19.7 million American adults have battled a substance use disorder. 38% of adults have battled an illicit drug use disorder. But no matter what the struggle, no matter the challenge, you can overcome anything and become successful. Max and his guests share experience, strength, hope, and faith. If it's PTSD or military-related, trauma, physical, verbal, sexual addiction, alcoholism, you can accomplish your dreams. And with this show, we help others be fearless in their pursuit of happiness. This is Fearless Happiness, and this is Max Naist. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in this world. This is Max with the Fearless Happiness Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest, my friend, Corey Poirier, correct? Correct. I said it right. Awesome. I had the honor and the privilege of co-authoring a book that Corey put together. I've been following him since I met him through my friend, Brian K. Wright. The gentleman here is amazing, everybody. I can't wait for him to tell you his story and challenges and the successes he's had in his journey. So let's get started, everybody. What I like to do, Corey, is have you introduce yourself to the audience and exactly what it is you do, and then we're going to rock and roll. Sounds perfect to me, my friend. And so, uh, you know, where I guess where I'll jump in, Max, and of course, thanks for having me. Where I'll jump in is probably in relation to, you know, my background. There's so many directions a person could go. Where I usually like to go with that is to tell people a little bit about my upbringing. And so I was raised by a single mother. I barely graduated high school. When I say I barely graduated it, I barely graduated, essentially mean I got a 49 plus one in a class where I needed a 50% to graduate. So I legit barely graduated. And in fact, I can maybe even say that, I guess I could say that technically I didn't graduate. The teacher, I assume, to give me a 49 plus one, I assume I probably got a 47. (laughs) <laughs> and he bumped me up to a 49 because the odds of me landing right at 49 are probably slim. So I, I think he gave me the bump me to 49 and gave me the plus one and wrote it that way. So it would stick with me forever. So I barely graduated high school. Uh, while I was in school, I had a vice principal say, you'll never amount to nothing to me. I um, didn't actually read my first book until age 27. Little known book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And I didn't know the difference between fiction and nonfiction. By the time I graduated, which is kind of ironic now, all these years later, writing books. And so I bring all of that up, Max, to say I was certainly not the person in the yearbook that they said most likely to succeed, or even the words likely to succeed. And so my background, and I believe this firmly, I always say where you start really doesn't have to have any impact on where you end. It's not what happens to you, it's what you do next. And so my background I tell those kind of things because I want people to know I certainly didn't have all these advantages we hear about with some people. And it's not to say that that's wrong when somebody has an advantage. And I think if you have the advantage, take advantage of it and don't feel guilty. But I didn't have those. I, like I said, single mother, when I went to college and I did go to college, my mother couldn't pay for it. So I, you know, I got a student loan and I was paying that loan off four years later. And so I went, I lived all of the I guess all of the the struggles that you would expect to live, living a normal life. And I just basically 
believed in what I was doing enough to follow my passion. And, uh, and we'll get into that. But that's really a little bit of my backstory. You know, if you talk about background, sort of achievement related or non, what it looks like today, that's sort of my background. And then the shorter version is since that time, I've released a number of books. I've been a paid speaker for about 20 years. That was my bread and butter for a number of years. I've been a podcaster for a number of years. I've delivered multiple TEDx talks. I've spoken at Harvard. And I say all these things not as a me ink or not to impress anybody, but just to kind of show the contrast of the fact that where you start doesn't have to dictate where you end. So that's a bit about me. Absolutely. And that's a huge reason I wanted to get you on to the to my podcast to share with my audience, this wonderful man that you are, because when we first met, we have similar stories, right? Where we were raised by single mothers. And, you know, my mom was the same way. I mean, it was, it was like, she loved me and my little brother, but if we wanted anything extra, you know, she was the type that would say, well, you go get a job and then I'll help whatever, you know what I mean? Like she did not hand out things, you know, and I got to know Corey and his story. And I was just like, so when his opportunity came to be a part of a book that he was putting together, man, I was one of the first people to say, yes, I'm in. Cause I think this gentleman here is, is an amazing human being about overcoming. Cause we have this like high school is similar too. Like I barely graduated and I had to get a B plus or better on my English final to graduate. And there were no cheating. She sat me like if we were right here, like I was right in front of her because she did not want me to cheat. And when I got a B plus and, and I passed, she gave me a hug and said, you know, I, she was one of the few teachers though. I have to admit that said, I knew you had this in you. You could have done this the whole time. You know what I mean? But like you, I had a vice principal that told me I wasn't going to graduate, you know, I, I, cause I was, you know, doing my thing. And the only reason I did good was because I played sports and that was the only time I did well. Right. Other than that, it was, where's the parties on the weekend? Let's go everybody. But everybody, Corey is, is an amazing human being and people that he brings together to do these books are just like amazing. You know, I, I don't know how he does it, but he finds all these amazing people that are like him. And, you know, I follow him and I know we've talked and, you know, I know, you know, he was a big inspiration why I wrote my book because I he had written so many books and like he was telling me, just go out and do it, you know, follow your passion. So you're a big reason I'm where I'm at today. Believe it or not, Corey, oh. from well, just watching you and, and and seeing how you work with other people and, and the things you do yourself, you know, to overcome, you know, when I heard you overcame challenges in your childhood and stuff like that. You're like me, I take it. Like when people tell you you can't do something, I know in my brain, it's like, watch me. You know what I mean? I may be slower than most, but I'm gonna do it. Eventually you're gonna go like, oh wow, there's Mac. Other than that, Corey. You know, I want them to understand who you are as a human being, like tell them some of the challenges you had to overcome both professionally and personally to get to where, you know, you became a speaker, you're an author of many, many books, you've gotten to interview so many, like you can't understand on you some of the coolest people he's, he's gotten to interview. So tell the audience like your challenges though, that you had to overcome to get to that point. Well, I feel like some of the biggest challenges I had to overcome was actually proving to myself. Now, now I believed in myself, but I had no point of reference. I call them like, you know, when you can look back and say, if you had the worst day ever in your mind, but you can look back and say, well, I've had other almost worst day ever and I survived them. Then that's your point of reference to say, I'll get through this. Well, I had no point of reference when I first started for how can I make this happen? And so I believed in myself, but I also had no proof to, say, to my subconscious mind that I right. could do this. And so I think the first challenge was just getting to that point. 
And really what that involved, Max, was taking those first steps, even when it seemed scary. And even when it seemed like there's a chance I could fall down the manhole, I had to still take those steps. And so I'll give you one example, but because since you mentioned interviewing people, so my first big interview, now there was other interviews before this that I would call big interviews, but my first really big notable interview was for my podcast when we launched it. And it was an interview with Jack Canfield. Many people would know Jack as the co-creator of Chickens for the Soul. At the time I reached out to Jack, his team said he's not taking any interview. They said, it's, chances are it's going to be a no. They said he turns down nine out of every 10 interviews. And they said, so odds are, Corey, it'll be a no, but we'll put your name in the hat and keep you posted. This is an example where, like you said, it was almost like his team was saying, this won't happen. And I was saying, basically, watch it happen. You know, and I, so, so essentially, and I say this because this is an example where I had to prove this to myself, but I knew this was a defining moment. Like I need to prove to myself that I can get past them saying no about this. Now I've been in sales for years being rejected all the time. So getting past no wasn't a big thing. And I also knew that it usually takes five to seven no's to get a yes. So in other words, I, did, I didn't right. look at this like a period. I didn't look at they put a period on it. I looked at like they made a statement and left it open. It was dot, dot, dot. Now I have to finish this. So ultimately I had to figure out a way that I was going to convince Jack Canfield to come on my little show when he's turning down bigger shows than mine. And so here's what I did. I basically looked on Jack's website and I tried to find, to see who I could find that basically Jack would appreciate, respect their opinion, what have you. So this is a tip I give people when you want to get a big name on your show, go to the website of them and see who their testimonials are and get them on the show. You know, if the oh, testimonials yeah. may be not as well known as them, get three or four of those testimonials on your show separate times. And then when those, you can go to that person and say, hey, you know, I noticed, I noticed some of your friends are and list the names. We've had all them on the show. We'd love to get you on the show. There's a better chance they're going to say yes and be on the same show as their friend. So what I did was I went on Jack's site and I saw a guy named Dan Sullivan, a coach that ran an event that Jack and Mark Victor Hansen and other people but all went to once a year in, in Toronto in Canada. And they all went to this event, high level, high ticket event. And they and so he was basically their, whether you want to call it coach or mentor. And so, but he wasn't as well known. He was well known, but not as well known. And I said, so I think I can get an interview with him. And then I did some research and saw that he had just done an interview with Success Magazine. And so I listened to the interview when Success used to have the CDs and I'd listen to it in my car. And I heard his interview and he talked about Jack and, and Mark and stuff like that in the interview. So I said, okay, this is perfect. And then he mentioned on the interview, Max, that it was his favorite interview he'd ever done. So I said, oh, even better. Because my interview style was like Darren Hardy's who ran success. So I said, I can then go to his team and say, look, I know he loved that interview. My style is similar. And then I'd sent them, a, I'd said that. And then I sent them a sample. So long story short, I got Dan on the show ultimately. And I had him on the show and I brought up Jack four or five times, knowing it might lead to where it did, which where it led is ultimately Dan saying, oh my gosh, you know what? He said, you need to get Jack on your show. He would love this show. And so what I did then, Max, is I took that audio, <laughs> dropped it out, and I sent it to Jack's team and said, even Dan, Jack's coach, agrees with me that Jack should be on the show. And the next morning, they replied back and said, okay, Jack's in. What time do we schedule? Blah, blah, blah. That was ultimately how he scheduled that and how we made that happen. But it really all came down to me feeling, believing in myself enough to be brave enough to take those steps. But once I did, so the challenge was myself. My challenge was me not having done this and thinking, okay, well, can I even do this? How do you reach a guy like this? And then once I used that creativity and we basically nailed down Jack for the show, why I bring this up is because it's important for people to understand this. I had expanded my comfort zone by doing this. I had a point of reference now that showed Hey, somebody said, no, it can't be done. I said, yes, it can watch me. And then that allowed me to go to the next one with more confidence. 
And by the way, what I did after that is then I went to Mark Victor Hansen, Jack's writing partner. So we had Jack on the show. We need to get you on the show. And then right. I got hit and I mentioned Dan. All of a sudden now I had the three of them. So then I just had to go to their websites and look at some big names that test, endorsed them and then went to them and said, hey, we've had Jack, Mark and Dan on the show. And you see where I'm going with this. But the obstacle is twofold. One, it was believing I could do it. And then two, the other obstacle and challenge is people are going to say no more than they're going to say yes. You're going to get hit with no all the time. And especially the bigger names you go for, you're going to hit, get hit with no way more often. Just to put a little kind of cool final note on that story, first and foremost, whenever Jack, they ultimately said Jack would do it. The interesting part is when my, the interview finally aired, it was on a Saturday. Now our little show, it just started. By the way, when I approached them, we hadn't even list, released an episode. And this was my first podcast ever. Oh, wow. So I couldn't even go and say, we have this many listeners. I was going basically <laughs> say, we have zero listeners and we want Jack on the show. And he's turning down everybody else. So interestingly, when we aired his show, he was on episode number two of my podcast. When we aired his show, day we were on Saturdays, we used to air the show. The day before Jack appeared on our show, he was on Larry King Live. And the day after he was on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. Oh, the day wow. in between, he was on My Little Tiny Show. That's, that's, the, that's awesome. the bookend, finish that story. <laughs> and so and so you're going to get hit with no, and that's going to be an obstacle, alterate your business, especially if you're in a business where you're either in sales or you have to ask for anything. You know, even just running a podcast like you're doing, Mac, you're going to go out and reach out to people and certain people are going to say no. And sometimes you're going to take that personally and think, well, what am I doing wrong? And the sad part is sometimes it's just timing. It's just that they're like, I go through ebbs and flows. I go through periods. Like I haven't done more than five interviews in the last two months. And I'm just starting my cycle again of doing interviews. So it's like, if you hit somebody when they're not doing interviews, you could have the best show in the world. And they literally just might say it's not the right time. So right. I just want, that's the big challenge is one of the big obstacles or challenges I faced early on is essentially hearing no when you don't want to hear no. And I can relate to that in a sense, but I would use another excuse to, so I wouldn't have to tell my friends and that I was afraid to even get this podcast started. You know what I mean? Like I had a coaching mentor and you've heard me talk about him, Lonnie Robinson, who passed away in 2021 of COVID. But so right before that happened, right? I was trying to put together my podcast like I said, trying, right? But I was coming up with, I have to learn how to edit. And every time we would meet, he would be like, how's it coming? I'm learning how to edit, right? And finally, one day he, as a good coach would do, our mentor, right? Like, Max, F your excuses, right? Like, just do it. Like, perfect doesn't mean done. And, and then something snapped. And he, it was like, you're right. Like, I'm never going to get this started if I don't even try. And here I am. I just released episode 58, like, last week. You know what I mean? I'm 58 episodes in. I've had those no's yet. But not because they didn't know who I was. It was either, like you said, bad timing. But it's getting me used to doing what you did. Like, just going, like, what is it going to hurt to ask someone? They're going to tell me no. Okay, now I have to figure out a better way to do it next time. You know, so I admittedly, like, I know how busy you are. So I was like, I kept going back and forth in my own head. Like, Corey's going to tell me no. Corey's going to tell me no, because he's so busy putting all these books together and doing his blue talks and whatever. And then finally, one day I go, Max, what are you doing? You're just giving excuses again. Just ask him, you know, what the worst he's going to say is not no, not right now or maybe later, you know, and here we are today because you are one of the gentlemen I look up to because I see how hard you work, right? I know you're a father. You're not a husband yet, but you've been with your lady for quite a while now, right? It's your fiance. And I just admire you because of the person you are and how many people you do help, you know, to grow an audience or to get on a book, you know, to co-author a book. And that can be challenging in itself, you know, like when you're trying to all these people together and, hey, I need your stuff by this time. You know, I know that takes a lot, a lot of patience on your part, right? Because I was one of them. 
but I tried to be, you know, when you asked for it, I was here you go. So like growing up and, and doing this, right? Like I'm a late bloomer. You've been doing this quite a while. Like what were some of the, the challenges I would say, like personally that you would tell yourself, I can't do this, or I'll do this later, or I'll try another day. You know, those fears that we have to overcome, right? Like Teddy Roosevelt says, don't need fear is fear itself and just do it. Because I want the audience to know that like, you know, you don't have to be at a high level to get started. You can just start, like they say, the journey of a thousand steps starts with step one, right? So tell the audience like some of those challenges you face like every day when you'd look in the mirror, like I got to get this going, man, let's, let's do this. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll add in too one of the things you said, and I love that quote. I know you said it in conversation from your mentor, but I love the quote done is better than perfect. I'll well, actually, I'll share another quote that really was a big motivator for me. And it goes to, it still goes to your point about those challenges and how you face them. But there was a quote, and I don't even remember who said it. And I, I, even if I did, I don't know if you know it's from them. So I'm just going to say anonymous with this quote, but quote is something to the effect of decent book that is changing lives is better than your brilliant book that you never release. I love that. And I, and so it's the same as done is better than perfect. Right. right. But I mean, really at the day, it was a part of the challenge, you know, you face of procrastination and not getting going and all that kind of stuff is thinking it has to be perfect. I went the opposite way. I struggled with that for a while. And now I'm the exact opposite. Like I'm like, get it out. And if you have, and what, and we're in a world now where you can fix it easier anyway. So get it out into the world. And then at some, and then of course, as you know, when we do the books that we give the authors multiple times to go through it. So we have, we're, we're doing a lot of work to catch any small things, but let's say something did squeak through. We're in print on demand, print on demand world. You can change it later, right. but if you never get it out, you can't. So first of all, I would say that's one of the solutions, the challenges we face. But for me, I struggled like everybody else, where I would tell myself, let's say certain days and it was more, and actually I dealt, dealt with this a lot in sales, you know, certain days, like I would give you an example. I wouldn't ever say to myself, I can't make this sales call or I can't do this today, but there were days I didn't feel it. I would actually go to the mall, you know, go to the mall for two hours and waste time and try to tell myself that doesn't matter because I'm having a good sales month anyway or whatever, but it was really just my way of not wanting to be rejected again for the 30th time that day. Because when I was in outbound sales, I mean, if I did 30 sales calls in a day, you're literally getting rejected 28 times. And the other two, it's like, well, we may be looking. So then you still got to sell them later. So like, you're just hmm. looking for that glimpse of two or three people. What I did for a number of years is sold photocopiers door to door, which is the hardest thing to sell because nobody cares about it. It's not sexy. It's like, right. what? oh yeah, we should, get, we should get a new one. And so you're going in door after door after door, hoping that somebody says, oh, we just started looking or it's in our budget now, or yeah, it just crapped out today. So what I'm saying is most people are like, no, we're not interested. Like, and it's not that they're, it's not that they're purposely trying to be rude. It's just literally, they don't have a need for that. So why would I talk about this right now? Now. You're wasting right. my time. That I will tell you that I struggle with that a lot. Like the, just making those sales calls every day and facing rejection every day. So I would take breaks. And I actually think now at the time I, I beat myself up, even when I was taking the breaks about taking the break, because the mall was an excuse, but I now realized it was healthy. It helped me. It stopped me from basically probably burning out and stuff like that from hearing rejection so much. So I think I actually was taking those that my unconscious mind knew I needed, but I couldn't get it through to my conscious mind that it wasn't me just messing around or whatever. I remember that. Right. And it started that way too. I remember my first sales day ever. Well, it was my, like my first week I was on the road with other senior reps. And I remember my first day with this one guy who ended up becoming my roommate for a year. And he's still my a best, a good friend till now, pretty close to a best friend. But I remember the first day he took me out in sales calls, the morning we went and made sales calls. And this, and, and again, I think it's healthy now. I, I judged him at the time. And now I understand what he did introduce me to something that was healthy. But the afternoon he goes, you ever seen the Titanic? It was just out. And he goes, <laughs> 
No, instead of you, he goes 29 times. And he's not the <laughs> kind of guy you think that would watch a movie like that. Right. And we went to the Titanic together, three, you know, three and a half hour movie or whatever. So it was the whole afternoon we were supposed to be making sales calls. I looked over, he's got a tear coming down. He was crying, <laughs> watching the Titanic for the 29th or 30th time. And, but my point is, Max, I now realize it was healthy. Like, in other words, we were socializing, we were doing all those other things. And whenever you have a manager in sales, they're like, you should be selling 24-7. My manager would say, look, if you're having an off day, don't come in. I don't want to know. Or walk in. He would say this, walk in, go to your desk, shuffle your cards, walk back out and let me believe you're out selling. But don't bring that crap to your customer. And that, all that stuff I didn't think now is healthy to know. Yeah. And it helps me now because I'll be honest, this is kind of a, a window into my life, but I grew up, my grandparents and everything watched wrestling. My father watched wrestling. And so they kind of pushed it into me. And so I'm that guy that like this coming Saturday, we're bringing the kids to a local wrestling show. That'll be probably just like, <laughs> just terrible wrestling. Like you, you'll see them miss each other from a mile when they try to kick each other and everything. Right. And we'll have a great time. I got into wrestling because of my family and stuff. So the only video games I like are wrestling video games, I'm playing wrestling. <laughs> but the point right. is, I'll still take a break every now and then to play a wrestling game during the workday. I would have beat myself up years ago. I think now I recognize from those early years in sales, I need that. It's my, it's like somebody else saying, you need to take a lunch break. Well, go take, you know, it's healthy to go take a lunch. Break. But right. we, we were taught for years, you're better off just to work through the lunch and work through because you need to make stuff happen. And, and so I've learned that it's healthy to take those breaks. So anyway, I digress just to say that that was another challenge, you know, is dealing with rejection. And I found a healthy way to deal with it. And, you know, and, and I don't even know if you're looking for how people dealt with the challenges they faced, but that was a challenge I faced. And still to this day, nobody likes to be rejected. So that was a challenge. You know, even when Jack's team said no, back to that other story, that was a rejection. So again, what happened for me is I had to, to adapt. One of the things that I did, which I still do to this day, is before I do um, a sales call or before I go and speak on a stage, I remind myself something that somebody said, and I picture the person who said it and what they said. I remind myself of somebody who said something that I changed or impacted their life. I think of that before I go do stuff. So I put myself in that frame of mind of this is why I'm doing it. Right. So that way, when you're going out and speak on stage, you're not stuck in the you thing, like thinking about you and how this is affecting you. And oh my God, I'm nervous. No, you're <laughs> thinking it's about this audience out here. Who gives a crap how I feel? So again, I don't know if you're looking for solutions or just the challenges, but the challenge I faced was rejection. And like I said earlier, the challenge I faced was, was no, because they impact your self-worth. But how I dealt with them was to have now points of references that every time I've heard a no, it's turned into a yes at some point, And it's been a glorious yes. And then also... The fact that I learned that with rejection, it's healthy to take breaks. No, that was perfect. Because I want my, my audience to understand that people go through challenges, but like, I want to hear your solution, right? Because that's what I had to learn the hard way was to take a pause to like slow down long enough to give myself a break. You know what I mean? Like in my recovery, for instance, and you know, I've shared my story with you, like my sponsor and my mentors would be like, Max, slow down it's okay to take a break. You know what I mean? Because I'm the kind of guy that I'll keep going until I drop, you know, from exhaustion or right. So I've had to learn. And same with communication, you know, and trying to understand what people are saying is to slow down and pause before I answer so that I can give them a, you know, a better answer than what I just think off the top of my head, because sometimes what's on the top of my head is not going to be that good. <laughs> if you know what I mean. So no, I that's perfect. You know, my audience, 
I want them to learn not only, you know, how people got through their challenges, but how they came up with their solutions to those, right? So people can pick and go, man, I really loved what Corey said today. And I'm going to use that because I find myself not giving myself a break, right? Or I'm, I'm my own worst critic. And if I listen to that negative self-talk in my brain, I'm just going to wear myself out and then I'm going to quit because I'm going to be tired of hearing my own head. Good, You know what I mean? So no, that was Absolutely. perfect. You know, and that goes for, you know, not just business people, but in life with our friends, with our family, right? Sometimes just give yourself a break and just know that everything's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Like I always tell the guys that I work with, you know, I want you to take a four second pause, right? Like in, breathe in. In my case, I say I breathe in God, right? And then when I'm breathing out the four, it's out. All the problems are coming out and then it's start new, you know? That seems to work for me, right? Like I try to be very mindful of how my body's feeling, how I'm feeling, you know, emotionally, physically, right? So that I can make the better decisions. And that took me, you know, I'm 54 years old this year. So it took me a while to learn that. But the only reason I did, I think, because I started surrounding myself with people like yourself, you know, like I'm surrounded by people who are where I want to be, you know what I mean, that have worked very hard, and then have some really great lessons for not only myself, but the people around me. So I can understand why they're so successful, because they found that solution that worked, you know, and not everyone is, you know, fits all right. So I pick and choose and, and I am blessed to have like you in my life that I can say, Hey, Corey, you want to be on my podcast, right? So I get to give my audience that right and then that for me that's like my passion right now is like letting the world see these people that I get to meet and know and how wonderful they are you know I mean all the guests I've had are amazing guests in my book so you know I appreciate you being here and stuff like that so you know now we know what that's like so a lot of people don't understand like people like yourself Corey right because I I shared that cover of um success profile magazines of you, right? And I go like, I'm beyond this guy's book. I get to be a co-author, right? People are like, who's that guy, right? So they're reading it. Wow, that's so cool. But people don't understand we are people, right? We have the same challenges, if not worse than just like everybody else in the world. And what I like to share with my audience too, is like, because you're in a long-term relationship and have a, a child, you know, you have the fatherly duties, the I like to say the husbandly duties, you know what I mean? And like, how navigate some of those challenges on a day-to-day -day basis and yet keep up with your schedule that I know you have. So, I mean, an interesting question, Max, and I'll say, I'll add too, this will tie into how I deal with that stuff too. But one of the other strategies I would give people for what we were talking about earlier, when you were saying, take a breath is a thing called E plus R equals O. And this is something that changed my life when I first heard about it. And it's just, it's an equation that I heard from Jack Canfield, but he said he got it from W. Clement Stone, his mentor, and who knows who W. Clement Stone got it from, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's been around a while. But basically, and I have it, I literally have it over on my shelf. Like I have a plaque that the girlfriend got me for my birthday for it, but it says E plus R equals O. How that works. So what the equation stands for is E is the event plus R, which is the response equals O, the outcome. And what the, how that works in real time is we get hit with events all day, every day, including my home life. You know, I get hit with events. I get to choose how I'm going to respond, which will dictate my outcome. Now, where a lot of people run into trouble is they don't know this equation and they react instead of respond. They get cut off in traffic. Somebody gives them the finger and then they try <laughs> to chase them down and start a fist fight. But it's because they reacted to the first reaction, right? And 
I always say the reason I thought of this is because I always say the plus I this part here I never heard from anybody it's just it's made sense to me plus to me is the time you take to breathe and think about how you want to respond you mentioned the pause so to me the plus sign is your pause so event happens take a breath think about how you want the outcome to be and then respond based on how you want the outcome to be and I can give you countless examples of this in real time you know, the one that always comes to mind is my mother was diagnosed with cervical cancer like 18 years ago. Now it's in remission now. Whenever she first was diagnosed, the doctor, basically he gave her a prescription. And I remember she walked up to the car with a prescription page. She hadn't looked at it yet. She opened it up in front of me and his prescription note said, don't read or watch the news. The event was my mom used to watch the news and she got to, and then she reacted to it. And so we decided to go on a news detox together. So that became our response to the news, which is that we're not going to see it. And so our outcome is we're not going to be brought down by the news. While we, I, I never forget this though, while we were on one of those trips to go visit that doctor, which was in a different place than where she lived, uh, we went through a drive-through of a coffee shop and we were in the coffee shop. It was on mother's day and somebody was behind us in the line yelling, like, get out of the way. I'm in a hurry, whatever just yelling at us for no reason. After we got out of the line, I said to my mother, I said, did you hear that guy and what he was saying to us? And she hadn't heard any, heard him. Uh, she's partially deaf. So she said, no, I never heard him. What was he saying? So I proceeded to tell her what, what he was saying. And she, and she said, what? And this one, we were driving away. She said, what? Turn this car around. I'm going to go back and have a talk to this guy. <laughs> and then so I said, and then so I, I basically did the event plus response equals outcome. I said, but mom, I said, it's Mother's Day. Maybe he doesn't get along with his mother. Maybe he doesn't have a mother. Maybe he never met his mother. Maybe his mother's in the hospital. And maybe it's not about us at all. Maybe it's about him and he sees a mother and a son in the car. So I told her that whole thing. And then she said, without missing a beat, the same person, same situation. My mother said, maybe we should go back and buy that sweetheart a coffee. <laughs> That's my mom would have said. <laughs> But nothing had changed, had it, Max? Like, right. the event was still the same. Right. But her reaction to going back to fight with the guy would have had a different, obviously, outcome than if we go back and buy him a cop. And my point is, every day we're hit with these little events and we get to choose how we react. So this full circles, so it's a that's a, an action people can take away from this interview, but also it's full circle of my home life. So how I juggle it is the same idea, right? Like, I get hit with both at the office and at home challenging situations. And I need to choose how I'm going to respond to them because I'm the example for, I have two kids now. We have a newer son, a younger son. And so I'm the example for them. And I'm the example for my home life. Oh, thank you so much. But I have to be the example, right? So, yeah. but so that, I mean, so on that side, that equation is something I use every day. But in terms of how I manage it, I basically try it. I'm not going to say I'm successful all the time, but I try to leave the office at the office and home at home. It's hard because here's what I do as well differently than I used to, is I used to work like evenings, weekends. I would just work until the work got done. And as uh, we had the first son and then the second son, I realized that wasn't feasible anymore. And so today I now work roughly 35 hours a week, which is really hard because of all the stuff I'm juggling. My point is I do carry some of it with me. I do it sometimes at home. But I drop <laughs> into that. Oh, I should try this. Or oh, I need to get back to this person. Right. And what I try to do, I'm not saying again, it's the best route, but I try to get it out of my mind right away. So if I'm thinking, oh, I need to get back to so-and-so, then I immediately schedule it in my phone because I figure it's better to schedule it than to try to be trying to remember it and be focused on that for a half hour. Right. And so I just try to get it out. So I don't beat myself up over the fact that I still think about work stuff at home, but that's how I try to juggle it. So by doing that as much as I can, and by only being at the office 35 to 40 hours max, it means that I'm actually home with the children and present with them 
a lot more than my father was with me and that I normally would have been with them based on my old work life. I mean, the answer how I how I handle it, that's really how I handle it. Is I just try to be home as much as I can when I'm home and be at work as much as I can when I'm at work. And some people have a hard time doing that. So I, I applaud you for being able to find that happy medium, as they say. Because that's like me. When I'm at work, I'm at work. But when I'm at home, I like to try to enjoy my home life, take care of my wife and the kids, the grandkids, and just have fun. I appreciate that a lot. It's important for my audience to know that we're all people, you know what I mean? We're one big human race and we all have our challenges and we all have our ways we overcome that, right? And that's why I started this podcast so people could have different viewpoints on how people run their daily lives and overcome their challenges every day, whether they're multi-multi-millionaires or everyday Joes like me, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it gives people, like you said, that pause to go, oh, wow, okay, I can use that. Like, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? So I appreciate that. So, well, there's a couple of questions I like to ask of my, you know, my guests, myself. And that's is, you know, I wrote a book called Fearless Happiness. You're probably one of the first people that got the book. So I appreciate that. So fearless, what does fearless look like for you? And how does that show up? So fearless to me, one of the books that changed my life is Think and Grow Rich. Now I read from that book pretty much every day. In fact, I just bought myself, I don't know, people might be only listening in the audio, but I just bought myself a fourth printing. So this oh, is like... Wow. Literally from 1937. You might be able to see it. I'm not sure, Max. I see it. I don't it. know if you can see. Can you see where it's only like four? It shows yeah. the printings. Four printings. Yes. Holy. So moly. it's like, yeah, like I don't. This book is like since 1937, and I have a 1947 version that I read from daily. I'm not as worried about that one falling apart. <laughs> so I read. From it. But it's, the reason I read the older one is because there's a lot of stuff that was taken out of that book. But the reason I bring up Napoleon Hill is one of the things he talked about was the power of taking action, you know, the importance of taking action. And so for me, fearlessness doesn't mean not being afraid. It means taking action in spite of or despite the fact that you're afraid. So it means you get less afraid each time you take those take massive right. action. But like when I get on a stage, I still get nervous. And you know, I'm speaking this Friday and I'll be nervous. It's even it sounds this is going to sound strange. A lot of people think it's easier as a speaker when it's people you know or a smaller audience. This is actually my home city and I rarely do talks here and it's a smaller audience so it's my home city and I'll be more nervous. You know, it's like local people that probably see me drive around the car, right. you know, and, and so, but I bring this up because to me, it's fearless, fearlessness means doing it anyway. So I'm going to be nervous, but I'm doing it anyway. And, and there's stuff like, you know, when I did the TEDx talks, I mean, I, one of the ones I did, there was a guy there that had spoken at, I've spoken at this point about 3000 times. At that point, it was probably 1800. He had spoken 5,000 times. And he said, this is the most nerve wracking stage you'll ever step on. And I had a friend of mine, Richard St. John, who was a viral TED talk for, on the main TED stage. And he said, it's, Corey, it's the most scary stage you'll ever get on. These are both before I did it. And so for me, I was terrified, but guess what? I did it anyway. So that to me is what fearlessness means. And I think where it started for me is the first time I did stand up comedy. I didn't want to be there. I, did, I was tricked to being on the stage and it would have been so much easier just to walk out. But I remember I walked, once we found out we we're going to be performing that night, I walked into the bathroom. I looked for an exit window. That's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> right. And there was no exit window. So I walked back out into the club and people always, I never used to share this, but people always asked me, how did you get over it that night? Why did you get on the stage? And why I got on the stage, Max, as I visualized myself sitting at that bar as an older man, pointing to the stage at younger people performing stand-up saying, I could have been that guy. One thing I knew is people regret more than they regret failure. When you don't try, that's what you live with. You live with that regret of, I wish I would have tried, even if I failed. And so for me, again, I'll circle back and say the exact same thing, that fearlessness is being terrified and doing it anyway. 
couldn't have said it any better. I mean, that's that you're right. And I know that's one of my biggest fears is to get on stage, like in a live big. So that's why I've made like your stage, one of my goals, Blue Talks, TED Talks is one of my goals. And just to get myself out there and do it because I know I could talk myself out of it so quick. So I just keep putting it like, I keep envisioning that I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And no matter how much I'm sweating, how much dry mouth that I'm going to get, like you said, I'm just going to do it. And, and it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen one day. So thank you for sharing that. I think, like I said, it's important for my audience to know that, you know, they're talking to another person that is sharing, like, though I've done this thousands and thousands of times, I still get, I know I forgot who it was, but someone shared that every time they get on stage, like they get sick before, like they have to go throw up before they go, but they still do it. Right. But once they're on there, then they're good to go. But I forgot who shared that. But anyway, so the second part of the question I like is happiness. And, you know, I put a Y in there for a reason. So what is happiness knowing I put that Y in there mean to you? Wow. So there's so many directions I could go with this, but for me, happiness, I mean, there's, again, there's so many directions I go. So knowing your purpose is to me and living it is part of happiness. And to me, I say in my, I have the book, the book of why and how, and I, to me, mm -hmm. why is your why is the, the mixture between your passion and your purpose. Some people use the words together, passion, and purpose to me, they're separate. So to me, passion is what you do. So whether that's doing a podcast, whether that's a comedy, whether that's music, taking pictures, whatever it is, that's the why. purpose is why you're doing, it. you know, so what, what's, what do you get from it? What are you doing to create good in the world? And to me, the together, they're your why. So on one hand, what I've discovered, and this ties into happiness, what I've discovered is the world's top achievers for the most part are happier than others. And I've discovered they're happier than others. They're usually more passionate during our calls. They just live with passion. The one thing that they have in common is that they live on purpose. So I have to say, knowing your purpose and living it is very much tied to happiness. But then I want to go one step further and say, I did this study years ago because I've done so many interviews. So it's like, like over 6,500. To me, it's like I've done this real world research project and study. And so what I've discovered as part of that is this thing I call the better life formula. And so interestingly enough, Thursday, yeah, Thursday, I'm delivering that talk for the first time in a couple of years to the people who recently supported our Blue Talks book number six. So basically they bought the book for 20 bucks. They get to take part in this talk that I used to charge thousands for. At the same time, the client, I have a client the next day, a mental health client bringing me in to talk about the better life formula and they're paying the money to bring me in to do it. But the reason I bring that up is I haven't done it in two years. And I'm doing it twice in this week. So I'd be remiss not to mention it right now when we talk about happiness. So to me, this better life formula I discovered after interviewing all these high achievers is the reason that they live with happiness. And so the first part of the better life formula is discovering your purpose, or you could say, you can even say your passion, because I believe the passion is the gateway to your purpose. So like, right. if you start doing stuff you love, eventually you find it why you're doing it. So either way, purpose plus. So what else do you add to that? I've discovered that the high achievers have figured out how to increase their positive energy or their positivity or whatever you want to call that. And they do it in lots of ways, like attending seminars by self-help teachers or listening to podcasts like this one or reading great quotes by people like Zig Ziglar. Some right. people I know just every day they get up and read a powerful quote or they read from Think and Grow Rich like I do every day. And you can go on and on, but there's lots of ways they bring pause. Oh, even just how deciding who they spend their time with. We talked about it earlier, surrounding yourself with the right people and what you read, that's all related to increasing positive energy. And then the last part to the better life formula is decreasing negative energy. So getting rid of the negative and some of it is the opposite of the positive, like figuring out who you spend your time with and reducing the time you spend with the negative naysayers or gossipers. Right. And, or it means, get, you know, stopping, let's say watching maybe negative TV shows or whatever that looks like to you. But right. my point is the formula itself is positive energy, less negative energy, 
plus finding your purpose. That's the formula. So I found the top high achievers find ways to motivate themselves and bring positive energy into their life, find ways to motivate themselves and decrease their negative energy and make sure they're living on purpose every day. That to me is the secret. That's the secret to life. I get it because that's when another friend of mine or mentor taught me the same thing. He goes, when you can live in purpose, on purpose, your life changes, right? When you know that. I'm not maybe exactly where I want to be, but I know that I'm living in my purpose on purpose and that I'm going to get there. So that's what keeps me going, right? And that's why people always ask me, why are you always smiling? I just says, I know I'm, I'm on the right path, right? Because it may not be perfect, but I'm doing it. I don't want to be that guy either. And I was on that path, as you know, right? I could have been that 54-year-old sitting at a bar going, man, that could have been me over there. You know what I mean? And blah, blah, blah. I changed that a few years ago. I'm like, that is not going to happen. So, you know, and I have big whys though, right? It could be my grandkids. It's my wife. It's my, you know, my children. It's keeping a promise to my mother who passed away, God rest her soul. And my brother and sister, all that stuff keeps me going, right? And keeps, actually keeps a smile. Even though I went through some tragedies, it keeps a smile on my face. Cause now I know that my trajectory is where it should be going. Will it happen overnight? No, because I am human. I'll make mistakes or I'll procrastinate, but I'm quick to catch it and go, see, because then I'll have this episode to go. Remember what Corey said, his happy, you know, his life formula for happiness. And that's all I can do is, and like you, I just, I put good things into my brain now and I surround myself with people who are happy and positive, who've also, but have had these challenges like you and I but have learned to just go, you know what, like, I'm not going to focus on that stuff. So yes, I appreciate you actually being here like more than you will ever know, Corey. So thank you so much. And before we part, if my audience wants to get a hold of you, right, they want to be in a co-author of one of your books, or have you come speak at an event, how can they get a hold of you? I like to try to put good energy out there and give while basically on a show or offering up any kind of thoughts on anything. So what I'd like to do is if it's cool and it's free, there's no cost Absolutely. involved in this, but I'd like Absolutely. to give people something that's related to what we've been talking about today too. But I set up a website and the website, first of all, is thepassioncure.com. And then the gift is at slash Corey, which is C-O-R-E-Y. So thepassioncure.com slash Corey, which is C-O-R-E-Y. And if you go there, what you're going to get is you're going to get access to a one page document that we created. And one part of it is to show you an exercise for how to figure out who you're spending the most time with and whether they're adding positive or negative energy to your life. And then the second exercise on that page is an exercise around how to actually find your passion, you know, the what, and which will lead to your purpose eventually. I wanted to put a document together that I said, these are things that changed my life, like not just fluffy <laughs> stuff, like this stuff that changed my life. Right. So we tried to create <laughs> a document to do that. So that's what I'd like to give to people. And if you go there and do that, then you're in my network anyway. And I got to tell you, audience, this guy is a giver. Like he is just one amazing human being that I've gotten the pleasure to meet and finally like be friends with. And yeah, we don't connect as much as we, but I know this guy is so busy doing all the stuff he does, but we do chat once in a while back forth, checking on each other. So I always appreciate when you come and check on me and see how I'm doing. Thank you for, for being a guest, sharing your wisdom with the audience. So again, of course, I'm going to ask you one last question before we part. What is one last piece of advice you would love to give my audience before we part? It's always tough to say, you know, what that one piece of advice is, but maybe I'll give people this. I did a TEDx talk a number of years ago on what I would say to my younger self. So, you know, what if I was, and the question basically I frame it is, if you could jump into a time machine and go back to your younger self, what would you say to him or her? And based on what you've learned in the years since. 
And first of all, most people these this day, well, actually, I'll tell you what most people say, and this is my advice is to figure out the sooner is basically the advice. So I'm going to, so instead of you having to figure it out, I'm going to tell you, because I've asked this question over 5,000 times, <laughs> what people say is they wouldn't change a thing. So in other words, a lot of them really are saying they wouldn't even jump in the time machine because they wouldn't want to butterfly effect anything and make right. changes. So, but why that's important, Max, is, you know, you may have discovered this. I know I have. Most of us don't learn this until we're in our 40s or 50s. But if somebody's <laughs> listening to the show now that's 20, I want right. them to know this today. Or if you're in your 40s or 50s, tell somebody in your family that's 20 or younger. But right. the number one thing I've discovered is people say, you're on the right path. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't change a thing. So first of all, know that you need to go through the crap to get to the goal. Yeah. And so my advice is figure this out sooner so you don't have to beat yourself up. Oh my God, why did I do that? Oh, this was a mistake. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this right now. Oh, why didn't I think? Oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do this? No, the truth is, and I'm going to add one other thing to it. Understand another thing I've learned in these interviews is the things that you're ter- you know, worried about and tearing your part, yourself apart about and beating yourself up over won't truly matter in five years. They won't matter probably in two months, let alone years. Why beat yourself up over something that isn't, you're not even going to remember happened years from now. The takeaway from that, the advice is, I just want you to take what I'm sharing right now and apply this to your life. Don't beat yourself up over stuff because the truth is you have to follow the path you're on. And ultimately, most people figure out that if they like who they are when they're older, it was only because of taking that path. So I know that's a weird way to share advice. Uh, and if you want the TEDx talk I mentioned is less than five minutes, go watch the talk and you'll see the whole, I'm trying to do it now in 30 seconds, but go, you know, check that the talk out and it'll reveal more of that. But really the advice is just listen to people when they say you're on the right path. Awesome. Just keep chugging along. Yeah, that's it. Never quit. Never that's quit. what I've learned from being around people like yourself is one, the biggest piece of advice is never quit on myself. You know, like that, what that ain't the Chinese proverb, right? Get knocked down seven times, get up eight and just keep going, right? And and keep doing it, right? So thank you so much, Corey, for being on my podcast and, and sharing your story with my audience. It was much appreciated. I loved it. Thank you for spending the time with me and my audience. So everybody, I hope, you know, you got something out of this. You know, if you if it made you smile, made you, le- you learn something or if it even just made you think, leave a review and download or subscribe so I can get this out to more people. Other than that, have a great day, everybody, and we will see you soon.